Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a no film school podcast. I'm John Fusco. I'm Eric Lures. And it is March 22nd, 2018. On this week's show, our greatest piece of original content ever, a new cut of The Shining Surfaces, and as always, news you can use about new gear, upcoming deadlines, indie film releases, and Ask No Film School. <laughs> Said it just like Liz. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's John and Eric here, and uh, as you just heard literally seconds ago from the introduction, we are back in downtown Brooklyn, New York in our podcast booth, and we're here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy working on your film projects. As you might be able to tell, Liz is not here this week because she is in surgery for something which we will not disclose, but never fear, she'll be back next week, hopefully as long as everything goes well. Yeah, we actually decided to um, vote her off this week, but she's she's probably listening though, so she might actually have a question for us. She may tweet at us this week. Yeah, maybe. It should be kind of nice. Uh, so we're here, uh, and even though she's not here, we're uh, back from this whirlwind week at South by Southwest, where it didn't seem like much was going on in the outside world worthy of our attention outside of Austin, and uh, now we're back in NYC, and reality is starting to set back in. Uh, Eric. How are you adjusting to being back? Well, I, I do miss that really nice 80-degree weather that we had. Uh, I forgot how much uh, very nice sunshine, hot temperatures can really kind of change your mood. Uh, we got a lot of walking done we talked about. We I don't know how many miles we probably walked as we had to walk off the great food there. Uh, now we come back, and there's snow. It's still cold. It's officially spring, but we're not sure if it's actually going to get here in terms of temperature. I don't know. Adjustment. This is our weekly talk about how much the weather in New York City sucks. Uh, ever since Liz proclaimed it was spring several weeks ago, and we've had three nor'easters since then. That is true. It is officially spring now, though. It is officially spring, and with spring comes a whole new bunch of stuff that we have to cover. So, uh, looking forward to the next coming weeks in New York City. Tribeca's coming up, NAB is just around the corner. Uh, so get stoked to see like 90 videos in four days again, uh, of all this gear garbage and Las Vegas. After you recover from St. Patrick's day. I hope everybody had a great, uh, safe, clean St. Patrick's day as well. All our Irish people out there. So let's uh, move on to headlines now. Uh, Our first piece of news is something that we've been waiting to say for a long time, and that is after seven years of development and production, our boss, Ryan Koo, is about to drop the greatest piece of original content in no film school history. I'm talking, of course, about his debut feature, Amateur, which is slated to premiere as a Netflix original worldwide on April 6th, 2018. It stars Michael Rainey Jr., Josh Charles, Sharon Leal, Brian White, and Corey Parker Robinson. So if you're not familiar with his project, the film was a Sundance Screenwriters Lab selection, and it's actually been being executive produced by former NBA All-Stars Tony Parker and Michael Finley. I like that we have someone from the Spurs and someone from the Mavericks. They were both on the Spurs at one time. Was Finley also on the Spurs? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Ryan has no connection to San Antonio, so that's... I'm interested to hear how that came about, but uh, we might actually be able to hear more about that later on. The movie follows a 14-year-old basketball phenom named Taron Forte as he navigates the under-the-table world of amateur athletics when he is recruited to an elite NCAA prep school. 
We're especially proud because Amateur started right here on No Film School with a Kickstarter campaign back when the screenplay was titled Manchild, and it was one of the most successful Kickstarters for a movie ever at that time. Over the years, Ryan wrote about the process, including running his Kickstarter campaign and going to Sundance Screenwriters Lab, but he's been offline for the past two years as he went to production, which, as we all know, is quite a bit more than a full-time job. So, now that he's finished, we're more than happy to have him back, and for... (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) And, uh... On a personal note, for anyone who says all we do is churn out regurgitated videos from across the internet, A, you must not listen to our podcast because this is actually our 101st episode of Indie Film Weekly. We had our 100th episode last week and we never said anything about it. At South By, we were probably half asleep. I don't think we realized that we were at the 100th. We were all pretty out of it, but... So, hey, let's celebrate our 101st today. Um, And that's 192 total episodes, so... In eight weeks, we'll be able to... No, less than eight weeks. In four weeks. I don't know. My yeah. math is not great. I guess eight weeks, we'll have 200. Yeah, but we release two episodes a week, so ah, it's, it should be so half four of four weeks. So yeah, four weeks, month. we'll be at 200, and uh, we'll... Oh, it's going to be the best All podcast. Right. Tribeca 200th episode yeah. celebration. Just wait. Uh, and yeah, so we have that, and also B, Ryan just made a fucking movie. So congrats, Ryan. We're happy to have you back. And... With the release of this movie, speaking about podcasts, comes the exciting announcement that we'll be expanding our podcast program to include Ryan's new show, The First Feature. Uh, So every episode of his show will cover a different phase of production, from screenwriting to prep to production to release. It's going to be a step-by-step guide to everything Ryan did to get his first feature made. Episode 1 is coming soon, so make sure you're ready and subscribed to the main No Film School podcast feed. So really... It might be even less than four weeks before we're at our 200th episode. You're right. If we release one of Ryan's every other week or so, we may just... Let's just start celebrating now. Let's yeah. plan it. I'll get some candles, get some cake. The candles and cake. We can expense this, I'm sure. Great. This week in news, you may have heard that Nixon has returned and is running for office once again. No, I'm not talking about Richard Nixon, but... Um, you know, shout out to him, I guess, uh, confirming a bit of news that had long been speculated on, but only this week confirmed. Five-time Golden Globe nominee Cynthia Nixon has officially thrown her hat into the race for governor of New York. The Sex and the City star, who was recently seen on the big screen in Terrence Davies' A Quiet Passion, announced her intention to run via Twitter this past Monday, with the New York Times reporting that, Within 18 minutes of posting her announcement video on Monday, Nixon was the number one trending topic on Twitter in New York, and then nationwide 20 minutes after that. Her video topped 1 million views on Twitter alone by the evening. Throughout the upcoming Democratic primaries, her main competition will of course be current New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is running for a third term. He was initially sworn in on January 1st, 2011. And, you know, I I started thinking about there's a strong lineage of women and men who are involved in the arts in some capacity and then chose to run for public office, some more successfully than others, right? So they include Al Franken, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Dukes of Hazzard's Ben Jones, Little House on the Prairie's Melissa Gilbert, and, of course, our 40th president of the United States and star of the 1951 hit Bedtime for Bonzo, you should check it out, Ronald Reagan. Uh, So it will be interesting to see... How how this plays out? Are any of those guys good? Did any or or, or ladies or did any of them do a good, good job? job? You know, is it time to supposedly stop? <laughs> Al Franken had, but then yeah. things have come out about him and, and Schwarzenegger uh, also had a, yep. yeah Republican uh, Melissa Gilbert I think actually had to drop out of the race that she was running for 
Um, and there, there, are, there are a bunch more, but at least they kind of got into it. Uh, Jerry Springer was into politics before he became a syndicated talk show host, of course. Um, so the race for New York governor just got a lot more interesting. And now I kind of feel like the whole country will be watching to see what develops over the next few months. Uh, detractors and political opponents are already coming out of the woodwork to knock Cynthia Nixon down, which is, you know, a rather unfortunate side effect of politics when opponents are announced who are determined to change things up. Uh, but Cynthia Nixon may very well go the distance. So I don't know. I really was not thinking too much about the you know governor race, but then all of a sudden I started paying more attention to it. And in another long developing story, the Weinstein Company has finally filed for bankruptcy uh, as of Monday. And this was a day which also coincidentally was Weinstein's birthday. Pretty rough birthday. Rose McGowan had a few words for the disgraced producer for his 66th, and let's take a listen. Happy birthday, Harvey Weinstein. I told you we'd be coming. I told you 20 years ago if I heard of you doing this to another girl or woman, we would come for you. I would come for you. Happy birthday. From all of us. Intense. Well, the bankruptcy press release was also significant in that it noted that the Weinstein Company employees are now released from their own NDAs so they can better cooperate with investigators. Quote, no one should be afraid to speak out or coerce to stay quiet, read the company statement, which then thanked the, quote, courageous individuals who have already come forward and referenced Me Too and Time's Up activists. Quote, your voices have inspired a movement for change across the country and around the world. So this could mean even more trouble for Harvey, who has already been accused by more than 100 women who have come forward as self-described Weinstein victims, including multiple rape accusers. Variety reports, however, that the bankruptcy could be even worse news for the victims, saying they will likely receive little or nothing in compensation from the bankruptcy estate. Why? Because, well, the company declared $500 million in debt in its filing on Monday, not counting potential claims arising from Weinstein's sexual misconduct. Plans for the filing were first announced on February 25th, with a group of investors led by Maria Contreras Sweet, who were hoping to buy the studio's assets. Those negotiations ultimately didn't end up working out, in large part due to the Weinstein Company's $280 million debt at the time. The new frontrunner is a group called Lancer and Capital, who've been holding off until the Weinstein Company made this move and filed for Chapter 11 so that it could actually identify the correct value of its holdings. Lantern Capital has now made a $424.5 million bid, including $114.5 million in assumed debt. Another $310 million in cash would go to the estate for the purpose of paying off remaining creditors. Secured creditors would get paid first, along with bankruptcy professionals. Quote, that leaves our clients with nothing, said Chris Armenta, one of the plaintiff's attorneys in a class action suit against the company. So, bad news, even more bad news, really, all around for this case. It's just turning out to be a goddamn mess. Yeah, it is interesting and great that the employees have been released from those non-disclosure agreements because you almost feel like those always sound so binding mm-hmm. that you can't just be re- released from it or you suffer a great penalty for almost coming forward and going against it, but to actually be removed of that stress and that binding. So that's nice, but you know yeah. they're not going to get any money, which right. is pretty lame. Right. Attention all fans of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, of which I'm sure there are millions of you. Uh, A new 
long-lost cut of the film is currently for sale. So that's right. It's a rare cut of the movie on actual celluloid with never-before-seen scenes. That's or, so awesome. You know, or, or well, here's the thing, though, because it's either scenes or maybe like one scene. Uh, okay. well, this could be this could be yours uh, for the current bidding price of three thousand euros, which is almost four thousand American dollars. That's not too bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. Emilio de Alessandro was Stanley Kubrick's personal assistant for a number of years, including officially being listed as a production assistant on The Shining. And he is now auctioning off a number of items from Kubrick's filmography, um, the most significant being this new cut of the film. The item is described quite very matter-of-factly as long cut of the original film The Shining, containing the scene in which Wendy, played by Shelley Duvall, carries Danny, played by little Danny Lloyd. <laughs> carries? That's it? Carry, carries Danny. So, like, I don't know if this is, like, a transition scene where she takes him into the kitchen. Like, she carries him from one room to the other. Uh, I think I've seen this cut. Where... <laughs> I was going to say, that's why you shouldn't get too excited. But there is apparently a scene where she carries Danny. No more context is given. Uh, these cuts given by Kubrick to D'Alessandro are particularly rare because the director notoriously burned all of the leftovers at the conclusion of the editing. Now... I'm not sure how this can be auctioned off without running into any legal troubles with Warner Brothers. You know, can an individual just sell off a previously unreleased version of a film? Uh, Nor am I sure how significant the extra material is, because it's probably not much at all. Uh, But it is interesting regardless, and any time there is some kind of new material that's been buried for decades about The Shining and other great films, it raises some real interest. Apparently, you can also bid on a shirt Jack Nicholson wore in the film, which also sounds pretty cool to me. I'm not sure if there's any blood on it or if you could get that axe. That would be really neat. Um, So you could just Google Shining New Cut Auction. It's live right now if you want to bid on that scene. A bit on bit on the movie rather <laughs> featuring a new yeah, scene. One scene. You're playing for that. Scene. Is it was it at four thousand or was that the opening bid? Uh, it was opening bid at three thousand euros, almost four thousand. Okay, American. all right, yeah, damn. And it, it, I mean, like The Shining is at the Spectacle in Williamsburg, a theater, a very small micro cinema here in Brooklyn. Uh, they'll have different versions of the film where they play it forward and mm. backward and screening it, projecting it on top of itself, and all these kind of funky ways of. Reevaluating the movie, of course, Room Two Thirty Seven kind of dived into that as well. So anything Shining related always seems to get some like very crucial big interest. I love The Shining. I mean, The Shining is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, really? I'm not, not okay. afraid to say it. Uh, so like, maybe I should go for this. I highly I, doubt yeah. it'll stay at that price level, though. No, I think it'll no. probably. This, I'm get thinking up there. maybe ten thousand, fifteen thousand. Yeah, know? it's actual <laughs> film too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so I mean that's getting... a that's that's pretty awesome. Like I, that's going to be worth something someday you know? yeah so i think probably i i think it's already worth like i don't know i'm thinking more like the hundred thousand dollars yeah you're watching like just, or maybe like an me. archive or a museum kind of like puts in the money to purchase it i don't know i just feel like legally like can you even just because you have it you found it you can sell it i don't know we'll see cool well let's move on now to charles with the gear news thank you john so yeah this is charles here with gear news for the week So our top story today is that Chinese camera manufacturer Kinefinity has released two new cameras, the Mavo and the Mavo LF, both of which shoot in 6K. So we only have pricing so far on the plain old Super 35 Mavo, which is going to come out by late April, but body only, it's only $79.99, and a full package is just a hair under $14,000. 
which is kind of a crazy good price for a camera that shoots 6K, and it's capable of capturing in uh, proprietary KineRAW, Cinema DNG, or ProRes, and it shoots straight to standard off-the-shelf 2.5-inch SSDs. The bigger news is that there's a bigger sensor version, the Mavo LF, which is going to come by the end of the year, which has a full-frame sensor, 36 millimeters by 24 millimeters, which is just a hair smaller than the Alexa LF, but it's going to be way, way, way cheaper than the Alexa LF. Kinefinity doesn't have a North American dealer base or tech support, so purchase is a risk. You're going to be in a situation where you have to do a lot of the troubleshooting yourself. If there's problems, you're often going to have to end up shipping it internationally to get it repaired. So it's not the same safe bet as buying from a more established company. However, for some of you, the risk might be worth it to get 6K full format, um, full frame shooting for a very affordable price. Oh, and on top of all that, they've also teamed up with Nissi. Nissi, I don't know this company yet, but they're a filter manufacturer, and they're going to be rolling out a full set of full-frame PL mount Cine Primes at around $2,400 a pop, or five lenses for about $11,500, which is a crazy good deal. So as the full-frame cinema market heats up, uh, the body and the lenses are worth at least taking a look at as you cross-shop everything. Next up is the new Magic Carpet Pro from New Zealand company SERP. So the original Magic Carpet is an ultra-lightweight slider that have a lot of details that make it like a really nice, well-thought-out unit for when you need to go. And you want to have camera moves, but you're going to a situation where it's going to be hard to get a dolly up there. You might be hiking into some beautiful nature spot. And it's a company like run by outdoorsy people. And so you can tell that there's a lot of really thoughtful design. They're sort of nature filmmakers or action sports filmmakers, really. And uh, this is a great action sports tool. So now they've just released the new Magic Carpet Pro, which is the heavier-duty version of the Magic Carpet. They use a lot of the same design ideas, but now it's bulked up for heavier camera packages, and it's going to make all of the features you like from the Magic Carpet available, even if you're out there working with something like an Alexa LF. Um, now it's going to be a heavier setup because of that. So this might not be something you're going to hike into the woods, but if you're mostly doing city shooting, mostly working out of a truck, mostly working on a stage, some of the improvements, uh, I think are worth considering. So now there's internal tube connections, which is going to make it much easier to snap together pieces of track for much faster setups and faster reconfiguring. They've also added a quick release system for your tripod head, which I'm really excited to get my hands on because if any of you know, when you're going back and forth between a slider and a tripod, it can be really annoying to be moving your head back and forth. Some people even own two tripod heads, but as you start getting to the bigger tripod heads, that can get really expensive. So the ability to like quick release back and forth between your legs and the tripod head in the um, slider is going to be a really nice feature. Oh, also there's a flywheel, which is going to help you smooth out some of your heavier camera shots, but you can just click it off with the flick of a switch. So if you're working with a lighter camera or you want a really fast or, or more chaotic move, you don't have to have the flywheel working if you don't want it. Uh, that's the SERP Magic Carpet Pro, which has just been announced. Last up, there's a new travel light from Felix. Felix are best known for being like end-to-end manufacturers of every component of their lights. So a lot of companies might like order an off-the-shelf Fresnel unit instead of designing it themselves. But Felix designed their own to work perfectly with the spectrum being generated by their 
LEDs, which they also designed from scratch and oversee manufacturing. So by pairing light manufacturer, Fresnel manufacturer, you get these lights with like no color fringing at all in your Fresnel spectrum, which is phenomenal. And they designed the whole thing. Their new Q8 travel unit, which came out over the weekend, boasts the longest zoom range in a Fresnel light we know of. It goes from a 12-degree spot all the way to a 60-degree flood in one fell swoop. The Fresnel lens itself is acrylic, which makes it really tough, but also lightweight. So it's possible to push it further out from the body, which is how they get to that 12-degree spot, and give you that really focused beam. Now, while the lens is light, and it does have the word travel in the name. The body of the light itself isn't. It's a 16-pound light. And uh, then the power supply is another 6 pounds, all for a 300-watt output. But Felix has nicely put, like, a little gobo pin on the power supply so you can mount it on C-stands. That'll save you cable strain. The color accuracy on this light is really outstanding. And Felix puts a lot of pride into testing it at a variety of outputs and temperatures, both, like, color temperature but also, like, physical temperature. How long has the bulb been on? Is that changing the color? So they put a lot of work into making it an accurate light, and we had a little hand hands-on time with it, and it's a very flattering light, really controllable, and really durably, strongly built. So uh, definitely something to take a look at. This week in Ask No Film School, Seth Demers has a question about working with archival footage. Where do I find free, high-quality archival footage? I've begun work on a documentary about the prisoner of war experience in Vietnam, but I found it very difficult to find HD footage. Most of the stuff I find on YouTube is like 480p or sometimes 360. It looks like crap. I want good Vietnam War footage and newsreels, particularly Nixon interviews. How would I go about acquiring the rights? And where can I find them? This is a low-budget film, so I don't have a lot of cash to throw at three seconds of footage. Thanks to whoever can help. Seth, so that's a great question, but I think our answer is going to bum you out but we're going to go ahead and answer it anyway. So when you're looking for footage from the 1960s, you're going to be dealing with either film or video, meaning it was either originally captured on film, usually 16 millimeter for news footage, or it was shot with an early video camera of some sort. If it was shot video, that means the 480 you're seeing on YouTube is probably the best that exists. You can try cleaning it up. Boris makes some plugins for cleaning up old video. JES has a standalone software. Um... There are some tools from companies like Pixel Farm, but it's never going to look that much better than 480p because it was originally shot 480i to begin with, and then who knows what it was stored on. It might have been duped to 2-inch tape and then dumped to 3-quarter-inch tape and then dumped to digital video. There might have been a couple of film steps in between. I worked on one project, admittedly from the early 70s, not the 60s, but uh, it was shot on film. And then we had a black and white film master that was really high resolution. And, but, and then we had a color videotape master. So we had color information in video and resolution in film, and we had to composite them together. So working with vintage stuff can be tricky. And with the video footage, you're not going to get it much better than that. So, like, a lot of those interviews with Nixon, they were probably shot for television and only ever shot standard def. Now, if it's field footage... Usually, the filmmakers out there in the field in Vietnam or shooting protests back home would have had a film camera out with them. And that 16-millimeter news camera, if that film still exists, it can be retransferred at a higher quality. So a lot of times when you're watching docs of that period, you're looking at docs where they retransferred the film to HD. But here's the trick. Someone has to pay to do that. And it can be like 
$1,000 to get a shot transferred because you have to pay the archive to pull the shot, take it to the lab, transfer it, take it back. So it's not like it's not affordable for most of us. Uh, if you see a documentary like something by Ken Burns or Harry Louis Gates dealing with that time period and they have beautifully transferred HD footage, they usually paid for that transfer because often the archival house hasn't had a reason to already transfer it. And the archival house isn't going around retransferring all their old footage unless they're made of money. They wait for a client request and then they use that to motivate the retransfer and bill the client for it. Now, if someone else has paid for the transfer, you might be able to go license it from the archival house. But again, that's not going to be cheap because archival houses make a living from preserving this archive. And that's how they want to make money from the footage, by licensing it to people. So the high quality stuff, you're usually going to have like a bigger project will have a dedicated archival producer. And all they're doing is researching what film is in what archive and how much the rights to it are and what version of the footage it is. And then at the end of the project, they'll have like a budget meeting where they'll be like, all right, well, we're going to retransfer these seven shots. These other shots are okay. And that's probably beyond the scope of what you're going to do. If this is a purely personal project and it's just for academic purposes like a class assignment, you have a lot more flexibility. But if you ever want to post it online, you ever want to sell it, you're going to need to license all this footage directly from the archive that owns it. And it's going to cost you, I think, more than you want to pay. There are some high-quality free sources available. Like, for instance, NASA has a tremendous archive of their content online. So if the Apollo missions are ever part of the story, uh, I'm sure you could go to NASA's online archive, which has a searchable tool, and find what you're looking for. But again, government agency not looking to monetize that information, just want to get it out there. But if you're looking for, like, news footage... The news company paid for it to be shot back in the 60s. They're paying to store it, and they're going to want to pay to license it to you. So it can be a tricky thing putting together that kind of documentary. Um, sounds like you're doing a passion project. We are always big supporters of those. Good luck with the rest of the process, and let us know how it turns out in the end. See everybody next week. All right, and now moving on to some movies that are opening this week. On Netflix, you can check out Game Over Man on March 23rd. This is the first feature film from the Workaholics gang, and it's headed straight to Netflix. Written by Anders Holm, directed by Kyle Nuichek, and of course starring Anders, Adam, and Blake, it's truly a family affair. The film follows three friends that work by day as hotel maids, but are on the verge of getting their video game financed when their benefactor is taken hostage by terrorists. So I watched a trailer, and it looks like it's a sort of die-hard meets workaholics thing, which is pretty funny. And on Amazon Prime, you can check out The Little Hours starting March 27th. This film marks Jeff Bana's third film following Life After Beth and the highly underrated Joshi. Have you seen that movie, Eric? I do remember Joshi. This is like, what, five years ago? Yeah. Maybe? No, it was like three years ago, three years I think. Ago? I really like that movie. I, I mean, Thomas Middleditch is awesome in it, and I don't know. Yeah, I feel like that had some buzz for a while. Was that Sundance? It was that Sundance. Yeah, it was yeah, at yeah. Sundance, and then I think it got by got bought by Hulu, so it's on Hulu. Okay. Um, you should check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, the Little Hours, takes, which was at Sundance last year, takes place in the Middle Ages and follows a young servant fleeing from his master who takes refuge at a covent full of emotionally unstable nuns. Introduced as a deaf-mute man, he must fight to hold his cover as the nuns try to resist temptation. It has an all-star comedy cast, including Alison Brie, Nick Offerman, Dave Franco, Aubrey Plaza, Adam Pally, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, and more. So 
It sounds pretty funny. I'm going to check it out. And on HBO, starting March 24th, you can check out Atomic Blonde. This is a kick-ass movie that premiered at South by Southwest last year. A lot of people describe it as the female-fronted John Wick, which is most likely because it was directed by the same director, David Leitch, and it stars Charlize Theron instead of Keanu Reeves. It follows an undercover MI6 agent who is sent to Berlin during the Cold War to investigate the murder of a fellow agent and recover a missing list of double agents. It's another one I've been really wanting to see for a while, so I'm excited that yeah, it's on HBO. I, I like that genre. I didn't see Red Sparrow, but I me- remember mm-hmm. Salt, the Angelina yeah. Jolie one, too, like this kind of secret agent. I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't even seen John Wick, which is... Uh, well, I haven't either, but I'm like a big dog lover, so apparently his dog dies, yeah. and that's why he's going for vengeance. I really would like to see it. Everyone says it's really good. I just, you know, John Wick 2 has been on HBO for a while. I don't even know if it still is there, but they don't have the original John Wick. Can't and start. Can't start with the second one. No, no, no way. If there was only another movie about dogs, though, that we could talk about. You know, I have the perfect movie to talk about. Benji? About. Nope. Oh, this movie is coming out Friday in theaters. Finally, Isle of Dogs is doing that. Only if you say it fast enough, it sounds like you're saying I love dogs. That's true. I didn't even. I wonder if he. I wonder if that was on purpose. I love dogs coming March 23rd. I think maybe we just discovered a little wordplay that Wes Anderson was dealing with there. Anyways, Wes is back. He's returning to stop motion animation, and that means a treat for everyone. Fantastic Mr. Fox did things with the medium, the likes of which had never been seen. Every ounce of detail Anderson brings to his live-action films can be seen translated into these painstakingly modeled creatures down to the very last strand of fur. Isle of Dogs tells the story of a young boy who sets off to find his pet dog after all the canine pets of his city are exiled to a vast garbage dump. Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Liev Schreiber, Bill Murray, Bob Balaban, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Ken Montambi, Greta Gerwig, Francis McDormand, F. Murray Abraham, Yoko Ono, and Harvey Keitel are just a few of the members of this monstrously talented ensemble. I can't wait to see it. Um... I would have we we could we had the opportunity to cover it already, but we've just been so busy at South by, uh, you know, yeah. prepping for NAB, which apparently is where it had its North American premiere. And mm-hmm. Bill Murray fell asleep during yeah. the Q and A or yeah. dozed off or something like something. that. Something, um, um, but it also won the won the Silver Bear at Berlin. At Berlin, maybe I think maybe. so. Um, it premiered at Berlin uh, a few months back, and we're not quite sure if it won the award, but I. Should have if it, it should didn't. Have, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. There, there have been these uh, dog screenings where you can apparently bring your dogs oh, with you cool. that they've been hosting. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that's a trend I want to see continue too much further, but for this movie, I endorse. And finally, also coming to theaters on March 23rd is a movie called Unsane. This is Steven Soderbergh's new movie. He may have been retired at one time, but he is clearly retired no more. After the success of his own self-production, distribution, and financing experiment passed with flying colors last year on Logan Lucky, Soderbergh is now returning with his fingerprint releasing banner, uh, this time releasing a film that, yes, like Tangerine, was shot entirely on an iPhone, specifically the iPhone 7 Plus. Unlike Tangerine, however, it is a horror film. In it, a young woman is involuntarily committed to a mental institution where she is confronted by her greatest fear. But is it real or is it a product of her delusion? You'll just have to go see and find out for yourself. It stars Claire Foy, Joshua Leonard, and Juno Temple. And here are the grant deadlines for the week. 
With a deadline of March 31st is the Manuel Rivera Ortiz Foundation short, short documentary film grant. If you're an up-and-coming filmmaker from anywhere with a short documentary from 10 to 30 minutes in length that highlights human issues and journalistic issues, you could get $5,000 from the Manuel Rivera Ortiz Foundation for documentary photography and film. With an early deadline of March 30th and regular deadline of April 20th is the Austin Film Festival Screenwriting Contest. A long-standing and popular festival and competition among screenwriters, win this competition for a chance to be signed with a major agency and have your script optioned, acquired, and produced. It's a pretty big deal. For over two decades, Austin Film Festival has been catapulting writers into life-changing careers. With one of the most noteworthy competitions among Hollywood tastemakers, AFF consistently yanks newcomers from the isolation of their desks and ushers them into the bustling world of film and television. Always great to go back to Austin. Hell yeah. And speaking of Austin, the Austin Film Festival also has its deadline on March 30th. This is the early bird deadline, but good to do that. Good to apply for the early bird deadlines. It takes place in Austin, Texas, of course, from October 25th to November 1st, 2018. I don't think we have to convince you why Austin is a great place to be looking at potential festivals to enter your film. It's awesome. We love it there. This fest has been around for 25 years and is known as the Writers' Festival. That's because accepted filmmakers also have access to AFF's Screenwriters' Conference, which is the largest writers' conference in the world. The conference attracts groundbreaking producers, agents, managers, and development execs, as well as countless working screenwriters and filmmakers. And for documentary nonfiction news, March 23rd is the deadline for Doc NYC, which takes place in New York City every fall, this year from November 8th through the 15th. It is also an Academy Award qualifying event, and it is America's largest documentary festival. It is it's huge. It's so comprehensive. Uh, and takes place at some great venues like the West Village's IFC Center, Chelsea's SVA Theater, and Cinepolis Chelsea. It was also voted by Movie Maker Magazine as one of the top five coolest documentary film festivals in the world. The festival also includes the fantastic Pitch Perfect Pitch Event, where selected projects will be given 10 minutes to pitch, including a trailer or a clip, and get 15 to 20 minutes of feedback from an industry panel as part of DocNYC's industry programming, DocNYC Pro. So it also has tons of talks, totally a full takeover of the city for a week in November. And now moving on to our weekly words of wisdom. Eric, you don't have any weekly words of wisdom this week. I just don't. I just don't feel inspired, you know? Yeah, I, no. I'm more of like a monthly words of wisdom kind of nothing, guy. Nothing, I mean, nothing got you from South by? I've just been so down, you know? <laughs> this weather, just like I just have no wisdom. I have no fortune cookies. I can't play anything out. Do you have anything? I got a lot of wisdom. Okay. Uh, because South by Southwest, you know, was last week, and I did like 10 interviews we were down there, we were hustling our asses off, and we got a lot of good stuff. Um, but one theme that I kept hearing over and over again while down at South by Southwest, and, you know, it really resonated with me from a personal standpoint of, like, having just gone through production itself and still going through production a year later, uh, it's just how important enthusiasm is when you're in pre-production and selecting your crew. So, like, when you're looking for people to bring onto your project, talent is great. Yes, but enthusiasm is something that you cannot, like, pay enough for. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, it translates onto every bit of having successful set during production. So with that all said, here's Esther Turn, who is a producer from one of the shorts in the horror anthology, The Field Guide to Evil, with a great piece of advice for anyone who's making a movie, because it's not only about 
selecting the people with enthusiasm. It's about checking in on yourself and making sure that you're enthusiastic about things as well from time to time because making a movie is really good. I'm not even going to say it. It's really hard. <laughs> it is, yeah. And it was kind of cool in that interview too with Calvin Reader kind of mentioning that if you're the person with the idea, you can still let other people kind of in there but still kind of keep true to your own idea. You're the one that's kind of fostering it. That's something that they all said a lot uh, because I think it's especially true for shorts. Um, there's so many different directions you can go in editing a short uh, that it's it's and it's great to get notes, but it's just really important that you keep your own vision in check. Absolutely. So, anyways, here's Esther. Let's hear what she had to say. I also think that um, my my piece of advice as a producer to young filmmakers is that they should find their allies, mm -hmm. and it's all about teamwork and people who believe or people who you can put your enthusiasm to them or they would you know they would be just as as enthusiastic as you are and then from enthusiasm you can create magic mm. just like in this case because we didn't have the right budget so we compensated with enthusiasm and for me it's very important to re to remind even myself that this is essential filmmaking and that's why I became a producer for awesome. projects like this <laughs> I have no shout-outs. I guess would, oh. this is the shout-outs portion, which I, I don't know. Uh, do I have any shout-outs? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, well, no shout-outs. No, no one is important enough to garner our attention this week. Uh, or nobody is more important than anyone else. Yes. We're kind of doing Everyone's like evenly shout-out to like the entire Yeah, so let's shout-out to our listeners. listeners. How about that? Yeah, this, de this episode is dedicated important. to you. This, de this 101st episode is dedicated to you, the listeners. So uh, happy happy listener day. How's that for a shout-out? I really like that, actually. That It may be cold outside, but you just warmed my heart a little bit. We just came up with that on the spot. Now that is a word of wisdom. So next week, you can look forward to listening to Monday's podcast, which is the first of our South By uh, podcasts, I think, that we're going to be putting up our, our, our South By interviews. Uh, and it's a good one. Um, I got the chance to sit down with Jim Cummings and crew, uh, his DP, his producers. Uh, and they, of course, were at South By this year with the narrative version of their short, Thunder Road. So we talked a lot about what it took for them to make this feature out of their Sundance award-winning short. And they ended up winning Best Narrative Feature at South by Southwest. So we're starting it off with an interview of the best movie at South by Southwest, uh, as judged by the South by Southwest jurors. Um, so it's going to be a good one. Do, and do, do they talk about the mustaches? Those free mustaches. They, they were don't. In? They don't talk about okay. the mustaches, but the mustaches, uh, as we talked about last week, are just a prime example of how uh, intelligent these guys are in terms of packaging their entire family into their movie. Uh, you know, their producers, DPs, creative directors, directors, writers, all work together on each other's projects, and uh, it really shows how tight. Um, they are in their in their film and in their success, really. So uh, it's a good one. Uh, can't wait to share it with you. And until then, uh, this has been John Fusco. I'm uh, Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. Uh, 
no one's gonna do that thing. Oh yeah, Jim Jump, Jim Jump, Jim Jim Jump. No, no, damn it, it's too late. Well, and I'm at Eric Lures. Feel free to tweet me as always. And you can follow No Film School at No Film School. Go ahead, subscribe to us. We're you know we're doing this every week. And uh, you can stay tuned for some pretty awesome content coming up in the next uh, couple weeks because we got Ryan's new show coming out, uh, a lot of great interviews from South By. Um, I also got the chance to interview uh, the directors of Prospect, which won the Visions Award. That'll be coming out soon. We have uh, a Doc Shorts Roundtable, which features some shorts that won awards at the festival so subscribe to the no film school podcast on whatever platform you use uh and rate us um too (laughs) how are we doing let us know with that eric you got anything else to say i think that's it uh just rate us highly please and uh, leave (laughs) us a nice comment and we too we do take mail sometimes fan mail yes Uh, we just don't always give an address to our p.o box but please send us a good word we don't even know our address right now we We, don't have the keys no idea where we are it's a mess um liz get better soon and uh hopefully we'll have her back next week uh until then have a great day Don't That's our, our new tra- trademark sign-off. Bye, guys. Bye.